Welcome into another edition of Designated for us. I'm Josh Wolver here for another week. And uh, as has often been the case with this Blue Jays season, um, after a good stretch, winning eight out of nine games, uh, out of the All-Star break sweeping the Diamondbacks, things were looking up. You know, the show last week was, I would say, fairly sunny and optimistic. How could it not be? They played really solid baseball against the Diamondbacks. And then lo and behold, here they are a week later, uh, losing back-to-back series, home to the Padres, salvaging, not getting swept, and then Seattle again. It's Tropicana Field West. I, I don't really know how else to look at it. They get swept last year. They almost get swept this year. Uh, they're one and six over the last two seasons with thousands of Blue Jays fans. Like I, I don't know what the percentage breakdown was, but based on watching it on TV and the crowd shots, it was more than 50%. And in some angles and uh, the way it looked, it could have been three quarters Blue Jays fans. And I, I don't know how to explain it. They easily could have won all three of those games. You could have made the argument that they should have won uh, all three of those games. The bullpen, we'll get into it. They had some issues. They've been so good. I think that um, the fact that they've had to be relied upon so heavily and in such taxing situations, stressful situations, repeatedly, uh, all season long, you're not going to be perfect all year. No bullpen is. And there were some some issues. Um, and it almost happened again on Sunday. You know, Jordan Romano almost blows that save. My heart stopped when he hung that slider to Suarez, but it stayed in the park. And you'll take not getting swept because the alternative would have been really bad. You would have lost three games to Seattle, three games to the Yankees in the standings, Boston. It looks like you would have lost two games. So to get one is very, very important, but you know, this is just more of the same from the blue Jays. There were a lot of head scratching moves, uh, guys not performing in big spots. You know, we'll get to Kirk. George Springer had a really bad day on Sunday, hitting a couple of crippling uh, double plays Blue Jays as a team, Kirk did it again, you know, two times this weekend, hitting to double plays in big spots, um, which is unfortunately uh, a really uh, just, uh, you know, situation reality with a player like that who hits the ball on the ground as much as he does. When you're up in big spots with men on base, sometimes you're going to hit into double plays. And, you know, that unfortunately happened a couple of times. But uh, let, let us start. First and foremost, with I, I do want to give some credit to Alec Manoa. You know, I guess we can go with it was rough against San Diego, and it really was. It was more of the same. There were misses all over the place, arm side, glove side, no command, no ability to really do much of anything with two strikes. And it was a definitive step backward after the good outing against the Tigers before the All-Star break. And it was easy to roll your eyes because it was, oh, well, here's a quality lineup. Um, and he just wasn't able to have any level of success. This has been the case all season. And you can just look at the Tiger start and say, well, it's the Tiger. So uh, that's probably the biggest reason why he had success. And that was fair. And I think Sunday start was a real possible this could be a breaking point, turning point for him with Ryu looking really good at triple a six innings, um, you know, fastball velocity, still not quite what you'd like to see, but he's ready. Clearly, you know, if Manoa really struggled again and, and failed to go past the fourth inning, maybe you're talking about a situation where he's getting moved 
back down and Ryu was taking his place. But I thought he was good. Um, there were moments, you know, he still had three walks. The inherited run comes to score after Mesa gives up the, uh, the the single. That's the first inherited runner he's allowed to score in several months. Uh, but he his slider was a lot better, um, especially to lefties. He threw some good ones. He threw some good ones to righties. He got eight swinging strikes uh, with a slider, which is, I believe, the most this season. It just had more of that late life that you're accustomed to seeing and that he needs so desperately um, to have any level of success in the big leagues. He he needs that slider to be good uh, consistently. So he's bought himself, I think, another appearance. He'll get, presumably get another start in the Angels series. The leash is short. Uh, we'll see if they move to a six-man rotation. You know, their rotation plans are set for the Dodgers series. Like it's going to be Bassett and Brios and Kikuchi. And then, you know, Gosman, Manoa, and Ryu probably would start the Angels series. And, you know, I think you just sort of go with it for now. And maybe it's a temporary fix and something happens. You know, somebody... Um, struggles Manoa struggles Ryu struggles and then you go back to the conventional five man but a lot of these guys I think could benefit from an additional day of rest we know the numbers Gosman's way better with an extra day of rest Um, Bassett's been uh, taxed pretty hard you can never really be upset with the idea of getting your starting pitchers who have just been so dependable um, in terms of quality and quantity this year, uh, an extra day of rest. So I thought full marks for the most part for Alec Manoa bouncing back again after a rough start against the uh, Padres. I, I thought Yusei Kikuchi on Friday was probably, if not the best he's looked as a Blue Jay, it's right near the top. His fastball was really good, really sharp, um, a lot of juice on it. And you know, this year it's been hit or miss. And I think when he's at his best, his fastball sets everything else up. His curveball was excellent. He sees through some good sliders as well. It was a head scratcher. I, I think in some respects, the pull, you know, in the sixth inning, but Teoscar Hernandez had gotten him twice. And I understand it's a long series. You're managing your bullpen somewhat aggressively, and that can lead to, um, these issues where guys are running out of gas a little bit and taxed and you're seeing some blinking a little bit, some, some cracks in the foundation with the bullpen, but I didn't really hate that decision. Kikuchi, like I have no issue allowing him to try and go a third time through the order, but when you're talking about a right-handed bat who had already gotten him for two hits, it's a close game. If it's not a one run game, it's a different conversation, but it was an important spot in the game, an important situation. And, um, you know, the, the rest of the bullpen didn't get the job done on Friday, didn't get the job done on Saturday, did enough on Sunday. But you know, this, I think, harkens to you can never have enough bullpen arms and Nate Pearson gets sent down. And I'll admit I was surprised. I understand that he's had some rough outings. He had a couple in Texas and Miami back-to-back, I think it was, in the middle of June that really ballooned his ERA. Then he was mostly solid, like he has been uh, for the lion's share of his season this year. And then he really struggled on Saturday. I I don't know what was going on. He wasn't throwing his fastball much. It was a lot of really bad breaking balls, and it led to... Uh, like his command wasn't there and it led to some pitches that were missing their spots and were very hittable and they did get hit. 
And there's talk now about him going down into a lower pressure uh, situation and working on his breaking ball, which is fine. Um, Jay Jackson, I think being as good as he's been probably made that decision a little bit easier. And in retrospect, maybe not as surprising as it should have been to me or, or to, to anyone else who was surprised. I think a lot of people would say, well, why is Mitch White still here over Nate Pearson? Nate Pearson has had legitimate good moments this season, uh, whereas Mitch White hasn't. And the simple answer is because Pearson has options and, and White doesn't. And I just think that I can understand, you know, the frustration with playing the options game and, and managing your roster in a playoff push that way. We're a week or so away from the deadline. I would be more surprised than not if Mitch White was still here on August 2nd, whether it's a deal or a DFA. I think they're going to try to work something out or maybe they're confident that he can get it going. But I, I just think that they're going to figure out some way to remove you know, like his roster spot crunch from the equation because it prohibits you, I think, and, and hurts your flexibility a little bit. And you're seeing somebody uh, like an eight Pearson option for Henesis Cabrera, who we can talk about um, as a trade option. I remember when I saw the tweet that he got DFA'd, it's like, oh, you know, lefty throws hard, swing and miss. Maybe the Blue Jays will be interested. I, I don't think I actually put it out there because he his numbers were terrible and honestly it's just like you tweet something like that and <laughs> you're just going to be getting a uh, oh, blue jays dumpster diving which is fair because he's been terrible for the last two years he was good in 2020 he was, he was solid in 2021 he's been awful since uh he has huge issues with command gives up too many home runs he does miss bats he's continued to do that um, his strikeout per nine is over 10 this season. He is introduced to slider, which is getting uh, nearly a 50% swing and miss rate. He has good stuff. He has certainly raw ability to get major league hitters out, but he hasn't really accomplished that over the last couple of seasons. Didn't really cost you anything. Like we're talking about a low level catching prospect. I, I have no issue taking a, a chance on it. I would be surprised in all likelihood if uh, Henesis Cabrera was much here, but that's the thing with bullpen arms. You never know what you're going to get. Like you think in the past, really 2016 comes most to mind. Um, you know, when the Blue Jays made that deal to get Jason Grilly, he was horrible in Atlanta. He had an ERA over five, um, had walked 13 guys in 17 innings, had given up 10 home runs. And then the rest of the way with the Blue Jays, he was very good. He had a 3-6-4 ERA, really good strikeout numbers. Sometimes relievers are weird. And a slight tweak mechanically or just a new um, environment or atmosphere can allow you to just be more comfortable. Or maybe it's just, you know, you're just having one of your good stretches right after a trade. So there is evidence in the past that relievers who have performed poorly up until the point of a trade can figure it out. And I don't see any harm in it. And, you know, DFAing Trent Thornton, I think that was uh, probably a long time coming, not somebody who had a ton of value anymore to this roster. Like he wasn't a bulk guy. He wasn't a swing guy. I, I don't really know what he was giving you at this point. Uh, you've given him a number of opportunities. He hasn't really 
emerge to deliver much in the way of value. And I'd rather take a chance on the unknown of Cabrera rather than continue to uh, roster the known commodity of Trent Thornton. So we'll see what Cabrera can give you. Another lefty option is fine uh, by me to take some of the pressure off of Mesa and Richards, allowing those guys to really focus on the leverage situations. And it's situations where um, instead of, you know, going to Richards in the fifth inning or the sixth inning uh, with nobody out, if Kikuchi or Ryu or Manoa only gives you five plus a batter or two, you can go to Cabrera. And if he emerges uh, in some form or fashion, then you can feel relatively confident or not terrible about the idea of him getting a couple of outs. And they're going to be facing a bunch of lefty batters here over the next week or so, you know, especially the Dodgers, the likes of Freddie Freeman. Uh, certainly there are others, Otani with the Angels. It doesn't hurt to have somebody who does also have good numbers uh, against lefties still this season. His his slash line against lefties has still been uh, very good. Okay, so let's talk about the, the series in, in Seattle. And it just, I, it's an inexplicable situation there. You know, maybe these guys are pressing or something like that. I, I don't really know how to explain with that level of support and the players feel the atmosphere, they're excited about it. They relish it that they find these torturous ways to lose games. Like you think back to last year's four game uh, sweep. There are a bunch of games, I think three that changed either in walk-off fashion or late in the ball game with home runs, you know, Carlos Santana hit a couple of clutch ones. Suarez hit one off of uh, Sergio Romo, who I totally forgot was a member of the the bullpen last year, which I think is an indicator of how much better things are that you're not turning to Sergio Romo in the absolute twilight of his career to pitch in extra innings of an important game in July. So that's an improvement, but you know, again, the bullpen was not great. Like I said, on, on Friday and Saturday, you know, guys who've been really solid for the most part, weren't, uh, you you can quibble with not using Swanson and Romano on Saturday after they were used on Friday. Then you needed them on Sunday. Like I, you have to at some point, like you just, I, it's all part and parcel. Like uh, John Schneider says that one, when they're rolling, one area will sort of um, bleed into the other and you'll get everything going and you'll be able to go on one of these runs. But the Blue Jays haven't really done that and they haven't afforded the bullpen the opportunity to have a handful of days off so you know like it wasn't that outlandish to think oh well you know it's a three-run game can we get by without those two guys today there's probably a pretty decent chance we're gonna need them tomorrow I don't usually love managing like that but there is something to be said for the proof being in the pudding uh, with this ball club. And offensively, they had a good game on Saturday. They hit three home runs. I think they had 11 or 12 hits, something like that. They did enough to win and they found a way to lose. And then um, on Sunday, we saw a lot of the same issues. You know, they had opportunities to cash in runs. They did hit a couple of home runs, which was good. Again, you know, Springer hits into two, just brutal double plays. Uh, Kirk hits into another double play. The usual stuff where how many times this season has this team had a runner on third base with less than two outs and not been able to get the job done. And that happened a bunch of times uh, over the course 
of this three game series. And, you know, you, you give Seattle a little bit of life. Um, they seem to honestly, it's like the reverse happens. They, they really relish the opportunity to spoil the party in their home ballpark. And I totally get that. You're a professional ball player in Seattle and you see your team store selling the opponent's merchandise and the crowd being well over uh, 50% the opposing fan. I can understand being really pissed off about that and, and finding another gear and, finding a way to really harness that and use it to your benefit as opposed to, you know, the Blue Jays may be having it work to their to their detriment a little bit. And, you know, they've gone six and one over the last two years. So just a, a really strange week in what has been a really strange season. You know, the bats completely dried up again against San Diego after having a good s- series against Arizona like at some point they did hit more home runs this weekend, which I, I just think that to reach any sort of ceiling, you're just going to have to have more consistency in the power department, but like expecting an ex- offensive explosion at this point, I like, I don't know. I, I don't, I just don't know if you can realistically sit here and look at the first um, hundred games of the season and say to yourself that, Oh, well, there's enough here that, I feel as though the dam is about to burst. And to me, the only way you would say that is, oh, well, there's just so much talent here that eventually it's bound to happen. But how long have we been saying that this season? And it hasn't. Like there were just plenty of bright spots. Vladdy hits a couple of home runs. Belt hits a couple of home runs. Chapman had a couple of extra base hits, had a double on Sunday. Uh, but still, there's too many guys continuing to not perform. Uh, unfortunately, Bo Bichette uh, has really cooled off at the plate of late. Uh, he's got a sub 700 OPS in July. He only had a 735 OPS in June. He's only got five home runs since the start of June. It, he still hasn't been bad. He's still hitting you know, closer to 275 since the start of June, but that's a far cry from April when he hit 300, May when he hit 350, had uh, OPSs over eight and 900 in those two months respectively. And when the rest of your lineup is as inconsistent as it's been, it's really hard to handle a, a real consistent force like Bo Bichette has been this year, not being that. And like the Blue Jays really need him uh, to find it same way they need George Springer to find it. He's got a 740 OPS on the season Two really, like I said, brutal uh, double plays on Sunday that killed rallies didn't end up costing them the game. But you know, those are the situations where you're looking for a big hit to tack on a couple of runs to make it a two or three or four run game, you know, where you're not feeling as though one mistake is going to completely change the complexion of the ball game and potentially torpedo any sense of momentum uh, that you have. And George Springer's numbers aren't terrible by any means, but you would expect more than a 740 OPS for a hitter in his career who's a, an 841 OPS hitter. We're talking about two straight years. Last year, he was at 814. I thought he was still very good last year. But are we starting to see some slippage? He's 33 years old. Um, he's been pretty good defensively. There have been moments. I know that the metrics can be somewhat inconsistent. I've been more than fine with what he's given them uh, defensively in, in right field. But you do have to 
at least think about the possibility that at age 33, uh, maybe that gear offensively isn't quite the same, but a lot of his underlying metrics are good. You know, he's, he's not chasing a ton. He's not hitting the, the ball as hard as he had has in the past, but when he does make contact, his max exit velocity is still really good. So I'm not really sure what to make of it. I'm continuing to ride with him because you don't really have much choice. And uh, I don't think that, you know, the end is near or anything for George Springer, uh, but they, they need more from him. And when, like I've said so many times since they signed him in 2021, when he is at his best, even as much as Bo and Vladdy and, and maybe in some respects more, he just drives the team. Like he really sets the tone at, at the top of that lineup. And if the bottom of the order can turn things around when he's really locked in, he can find ways uh, to drive those runners in and, and do major damage. And there just hasn't been as much of that as we're accustomed to seeing this season uh, for the lion's share. There have been some good moments. He's had uh, some good stretches. He had a good month of May with a four home runs. He hit four home runs in June as well, had about an 800 OPS, but it hasn't been great so far. He's only got two home runs in the month of July. And, you know, you want him setting that uh, tempo at the top of the lineup with that power stroke. And uh, it hasn't been there consistently as of late. Uh, What else we got here? Like the deadline's a week away. They're not selling. We've established that pretty clearly. Uh, I don't see any situation in which that happens. Does the way that the bullpen performed over the weekend change your, your mindset? Like they made a move with Cabrera. Is that it? It's entirely possible with Chad Green uh, starting a rehab in Dunedin. I think he threw 10 pitches, a couple of fly ball outs. Velocity was decent, no strikeouts, but something to, to build off of. I don't think he's that far away. Um, realistically, assuming there are no setbacks, is he here second, third week of August? I think it's probably fair to assume that. So with Cabrera and with Green, I don't know if you're really adding much else in the bullpen. I I just don't really know um, if you need that much else, if you feel confident about Green and Cabrera. But like, I still would like another arm that can miss some bats. It doesn't need to be some flamethrower, but somebody who can add another infusion of strikeout ability into that bullpen. I have no problem with that. Um, A right-handed bat that can preferably play the outfield would probably still be atop my list of priorities. I do think another starting pitcher would be good. We'll see how the next week goes, you know, what Manoa looks like again, what Ryu looks like, assuming he makes his debut. Um, But I'm still at the point where those would be the priorities uh, over the bullpen, uh, especially with the Cabrera trade and really also, you know, what Chad Green may or may not be able uh, to give you. Because, like, I understand Jimmy Garcia's had his issues, had his issues. Richards had another really good outing on Sunday. He's firmly in your circle of trust and leverage spots now. Um, You live with any hiccups that there might be. Like, if he hangs a change up, it results in a home run. So be it, because the strikeout stuff is so prodigious and it's such a great equalizer in big spots that uh, 
Um, he's as good of a weapon as there is. Now with Nate Pearson gone, we'll see what happens with Mitch White. Is Nate Pearson back up after the deadline, presuming something happens with White? That's certainly possible. But I don't think that the Blue Jays have definitively made a decision one way or the other about, you know, what the deadline might look like. I think like a lot of teams, um, they take it to the last possible minute before they make their decisions. And um, I I think we're going to see a lot of moves made obviously on Tuesday, Monday, Tuesday, I think is when things are really going to ramp up on the trade front. Uh, I did want to get to a couple of tweets um, from you at DFA underscore pod. Colin says, do you think John Schneider gets too much blame from the fans? Like there are bad decisions. There were bad decisions in this series, you know, pinch hitting Kirk, a ground ball guy in a big spot with the bases loaded less than two outs with the struggles that he's had. I didn't think that that was a good move. Um, you know, Jordan Luplo has been good in or of late. He had a good, I guess he had a good moment against San Diego against Blake Snell probably, would have at least given him a chance in that situation because I'll live with a strikeout because you get another opportunity. The only thing you can't have there is a double play and Kirk is a way bigger threat or liability to hit into a double play than, than Jordan Luplo is. So that was not a great move. Like there are still bullpen decisions that sometimes probably can leave you scratching your head. But like I would say about most coaches and pretty much any sport, they usually get too much blame. And when the team is performing well, nobody's talking about the manager or the coach because when the team wins, you're not as quick to be like, oh, well, that was a horrible decision that he made in that situation that they won the game. You're not fixating on on the mistakes that you're thinking were made in the moment after wins. And like there, when they've lost, yeah, have there been some some puzzlers for sure? Do I think he's a great tactician? Probably not. Do I think he's a great manager? I think he's fine. Um, I don't think he's holding the Blue Jays back or anything. I, I think that, like anything, uh, it's an it's just an easy thing to focus on. Yeah, you'd like to put guys in the right optimal situations for success, but you know if you have a stall in that clubhouse and you're sitting in that bullpen and you're tr- entrusted with one to six outs, let's say, and you don't get the job done. Yeah, you can blame the manager for putting that pitcher in the position in the first place, but you know the player's got to wear it as well. Like It's your job to come in and do the job. And if you don't get it done, yeah, okay. Like You want to blame the manager, great. But I, I think that it's just always such an easy thing uh, to fixate on. It's the same thing with the hitting coach. Maybe that has some discernible impact. I, I just think that, you know, it's sort of window dressing a little bit. The The principles are the principles here. Slight adjustments, tweaks here or there. I know that everyone thinks that, you know, their pull rate is all out of whack and they're, they're using the whole field way too much, which maybe is true uh, to some extent, but I don't think that hiring a new hitting coach in August or end of July is all of a sudden going to allow these players to, start performing closer to their capabilities. And if they do, how much of it is, well, they're just hitting better versus, oh, well, it was Guillermo Martinez, the anchor holding them down. Like, I I just don't know how much stock to put into that. It it sometimes feels like 
you want a pound of flesh just to take a pound of flesh for a pound of flesh's sake. I don't I, I said pound of flesh uh, more times in the last five seconds than I have probably in my entire life. But I don't really know how much of a legitimate impact that would make. So yeah, coaches always get blame and they rarely, if ever, get credit when things um, are going well. And that's to be expected. I think that the the blame and the credit should always fall with the players. Um, you can blame the, the management for assembling the roster, but in some cases, it's like, well, the manager has who he has to deploy. Who does that fall on management in terms of building the roster? So if there was anyone even more so that I would look to blame in a time of struggle, I would probably look up uh, as opposed to toward um, the dugout. All right, let's see what else we got here. Giuseppe, has the bullpen been overused and now collapsing? We might have an offense clicking while the pitching is failing. We talked about this. We'll see. I, I think it could just be a blip. Hopefully it is. You know, uh, the they were so good, especially in the Diamondback series. And really for most of the season, they've been top three or five in ERA and strikeouts per nine and a lot of important statistical tests they've passed. So, you know, anyone who says that, oh, well, this bullpen sucks and this is what I expected. Okay. Like it feels kind of gotcha to me that you've just been sitting on this all season long and the first real, and I wouldn't even call it sustained, but a couple of straight, not particularly great performances. And it's like, oh, well, this is what it's been. This is what I was expecting all year. Maybe, you know, they pitched above their head in, in the first half of the season or or first nearly hundred games. Perhaps there's something to be said for that. Like I said, at maybe a month into the season that I felt that this was a good enough bullpen to get you through the regular season. And I, then I still wasn't sure about the postseason, and I still mostly feel the same. Um, it wouldn't surprise me if the major principles, if the blue Jays get to the playoffs, figure it out and are good and are better than they were last year. And it also wouldn't remotely surprise me if they weren't because, you know, there's just so much variance to bullpen arms. Look at Trevor Richards. Case in point was a a lot of people were saying early in the season he had a bumpy outing against the Angels DFAM and here he is uh, with some of the better strikeout numbers as a reliever really good ERA has limited hard contact has limited home runs he was bad last year he's been good this year he was good two years ago there's just not a lot of consistency year to year when it comes to relievers and sometimes game to game week to week day to day month to month what have you so like I just don't really know what to say when people are like, oh yeah, this was the bullpen that I was ex expecting all year. Well, it's, are you just discrediting the fact that they were really good for 90, 95 games? Like, you know, it's, I understand that's part of fandom and you get frustrated when the recency bias of a bad bullpen outing comes up, but I'm still very pleased with what I've seen from that group this season. And that doesn't mean that uh, that I think that they're going to be able to do that for the rest of the season. But up until this point, um, it's hard not to be really impressed with what they've done. Greg says, do you think Atkins's job is in question, even if they make it to a, a wild card game? Don't think he will be back or will his good buddy Shapiro bring him back no matter what? I, I don't think that 
we can really say at this point. I think it really depends what happens at the deadline, what happens in the postseason. If they were to miss the playoffs, I think all bets are off um, when it comes to Atkins, when it comes to Schneider. If they get waxed in the wild card series again, I think then same situation. I think at the very least, like you have to win a playoff series this year. And even if it's like, well, you you win in game three and then you lose three straight in the division series, is that a successful season? No, I, I wouldn't say that it is. But I think it depends really what happens here. Like, I don't think that it's leaning one way or the other right now. Like if anything, maybe it's like 60, 65, 35, 60, 40 is back. But a good stretch or a bad stretch at an important time could totally sway that uh, one way or the other. So uh, yeah, I don't think that his job is really safe. It's probably the least safe it's been um, since he took over uh, before the 2016 season. And, you know, I, I, he hasn't really up until this point done anything that um, has required any thought about his job security. Like he oversaw somewhat of a rebuild, got the team back into playoff contention. But, you know, sometimes you get to a point and it's you need something or somebody else to get you over that hump. And time is, I still think, it, time will tell if that is the case here, if the Blue Jays need a fresh look in terms of the front office, in terms of managerial wise, you know, like, is it James Click potentially? We'll see. But uh, definitely this is, I would say the thinnest the ice has been under Ross Atkins's feet since he took the job in 2016. Uh, Steve, this is our last one. Uh, he's concerned that this is not a contender's offense. They're seventh in the AL and runs, but the Yankees are the only wildcard contender that is worse. And they are missing judge and fired their hitting coach two weeks ago. Yeah, the offense hasn't been good. Uh, I, I don't really know what else to say about it. And it's been really bizarre because even if you forecasted some drop off without Teoscar and Lourdes. Like, I was Brandon Belk going to be somebody that at the end of July had eight home runs, you know, Vladdy being on pace for 25 home runs, Varsho not really doing much. Nobody really would have expected that to the degree that it's happened. And nobody has really performed from a power perspective outside of like Danny Jansen, who is what he is. You'll take that level of productivity in terms of a power presence from the catcher's position any day of the week. But this, I like, I expected still a pretty prolific offense that was going to be able to hit a fair number of home runs. And that just hasn't happened. And I think it, it totally changes the conversation uh, about the ceiling um, of this team. If they're not that, that offense like even if you could say oh well they could they could do it in the in the playoffs look at what the Phillies did look at what the Braves did baseball is weird that could easily happen but those teams I think showed a bit more uh in the lead up to the postseason that made you feel like oh man who am I kidding nobody felt like the Phillies or the Braves were gonna figure it out so like playoff baseball is bizarre you could be playing like shit and then figure it out, or you could be playing great and crash and burn. Um, there's an element of randomness to it. And the Blue Jays just have to get in and, you know, align their roster as best as they can hope that they're playing good baseball, hope that they can get hot for uh two or three week stretch and, and they can have uh, a memorable run. That's really all there is to it. Get in 
And, you know, ideally your roster is configured in such a way that you feel good about your options, your versatility on offense and defense, your, your depth, that sort of thing. And I, I think that the Blue Jays have some areas where they can improve. Uh, in that respect before the August 1st trade deadline, which is next Tuesday. Uh, Next week, we'll uh, get into a little bit more of a trade deadline thought. Maybe some moves will have happened. Jays have uh, three against the Dodgers. Always tough to take on the Dodgers. Always tough to go to Dodger Stadium. And then a sneaky important series, depending on how the Angels do uh, over the next couple of days with Otani and co at the dome next weekend. So big week. They're all big weeks at this point. We're in scoreboard watching season. Uh, This is when the temperature really ratchets up for uh, fans of a team in a playoff race. This is what it's all about. You know, you're checking scores, you're living on the edge of your seat with every game, with every pitch. We went, uh, you know, a long time, more than two decades without it. And the Blue Jays have been in the thick of things a bunch over the last few years, which is a step in the right direction, but they need to continue taking more steps toward the ultimate goal, which is winning a World Series and not just getting into the postseason. As always, appreciate all of the tweets at DFA underscore pod at Jay Goldberg 12 is where you can find me and the podcast. As always, like, rate, review, comment, subscribe, designated for assignment wherever you get your podcast. We'll be back next week. I'm Josh Goldberg. Thanks as always for listening to Designated for Assignment.